Welcome to JFK and the Enduring Secret. I'm your host, Jeff Crudell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is a special episode and a special moment for me. It's one of the first live episodes that we're doing with JFK, The Enduring Secret. And I figured if we're going to do the first one, I should do it with the one individual in my life that actually inspired me to learn a little bit more about this topic. And it was more than 30 years ago when that journey began. And that individual is here with me today, and it's my brother, Dennis Crudell. And uh, because he is here, it's a live show. And he's going to tell you a little bit about some of what he thinks about the conspiracy theories and, and the whole thing and how he actually helped to get me started in it as well. Well, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that introduction. You know, uh, I really started uh, looking at this uh, more when I was uh, just starting out in college. And uh, I read uh, Thompson's uh, Six Seconds in Dallas and a couple of other of the uh, uh, manuscripts. And that's when I really got off the uh, single shooter theory. And uh, when I was in college, I started reading a little bit more and a little bit more. And I just uh, couldn't quite understand why some of the uh, theorists that, that believed in the uh, single bullet theory uh, were, were still not convinced that there was other things afoot. You know, when I started to uh, uh, look at all this, I really knew that there was something more to it. Unfortunately, as I graduated, I did not do as much as I would have liked to have done, but I'm glad that you've picked up the uh, gauntlet and moved on. It's been kind of exciting listening to your podcast, and I'm really glad that you're doing this. Hey, thanks, Denny. And, you know, really, honestly, you've been an incredible inspiration to me. And getting started. And it's been a 30-year journey, which makes putting an episode together a lot easier. And uh, and just for the audience, we just passed 200,000 downloads this past week uh, since the inception of the podcast, which is just a little bit more than a year ago now. And uh, one thing uh, uh, Dennis didn't say is that he is an author himself. And uh, uh, he's going to be coming out fairly soon with his own book. And uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that on the uh, on the show too. Yeah, I'm glad to. I uh, recently retired, uh, full time retired, and I uh, started uh, writing a few few uh, little vignettes and so on. Which uh, uh, primarily, I'm I'm more interested in World War II and some of the outcomes. And as a result, I wrote a book uh, uh, called uh, Mr. Hines' War, which is basically from the 37 to 41, 1937 to 1941 time frame. And um, what it is, it's uh, historical fiction that's based uh, primarily on factual events that happen, but with a fictional uh, lead character. And so it's been kind of exciting. I finished that, and I'm now starting to work on the uh, sequel. Um, but uh, this is what you do when you're tired and you have a lot of time on your hands. Well, uh, Dennis may be retired, but he stays very active, and obviously that's just one of many things that he's doing too. And uh, I will say this, that uh, we all have a connection to one of the local universities down here, Florida Atlantic University. It was 
Uh, it came into being actually in the mid '60s. My our oldest brother Les was uh, in one of the f- uh, first few graduating classes in the uh, uh, in the later '60s. And uh, there's been a there's actually been in some form or fashion a, a Crudell on the campus in every decade uh, since then. And uh, I went there, and uh, my wife Kelly went there. We both graduated and, and met there. And, uh, not when we were in school, but afterward. Uh, and uh, and then uh, not not long after, Dennis came, and uh, he had a 28-year career at Florida Atlantic University, and it uh, culminated with him as president of the university, and he did some wonderful things. And during uh, the later stages of his tenure as as uh, uh, some of you might know, especially ones listening in South Florida, uh, there's, an, there's a brand new stadium on campus and a, and a, and a, and a brand new uh, football team uh, uh, in the moments that, uh, that Dennis was uh, leading the way. And so I think uh, every time I go past that stadium, I think about uh, 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 the stories that I heard, you know, in those moments uh, as that was, uh, as that was uh, being given birth to. And it's just an amazing thing. It's a great school. It now has, I think, almost 35,000 students, Dennis? 31,000. Wow. Yeah, it's just an amazing number. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, state institutions around the United States don't have anything uh, uh, near that in terms of uh, student populations. But as Florida goes, Florida's the third most populous state in the United States. And so all the state universities here have very large student populations. It's a great school. Uh, it's changed a lot over uh, over the five or six decades since uh, one of us uh, stepped on campus uh, initially. And uh, uh, and we've all been lucky to be able to stay connected to the South Florida community over all these years. And uh, Dennis and I actually, uh, he's retired, uh, I'm semi-retired, and we're only about a mile away from each other. So we can actually, we can actually walk and uh, uh, meet each other and have, uh, have breakfast without actually getting in the car, which is kind of a nice thing, especially in the wintertime. So, uh, hey, Dennis, I have a question for you. You know, uh, there's always a million things that... Uh, uh, you know, people start to say about any one of these uh, JFK topics. I mean, you get started and everyone's got a little bit different angle on just, you know, uh, you know, on each thing. And I'm always uh, thinking when someone listens to an episode, how are they going to react? And of course, you can go to the you can go to the website. It's www.podcastjfk.com, and you can go right to the episode after an episode is posted, and you can actually uh, uh, post in on the uh, blog. And I'd love for all of you to do more of that when you get a chance. Uh, it's always great to hear. I have to tell you, everybody that's participated has been so mindful and respectful. And the kind of comments that uh, uh, I see on the website and the requests are uh, the kind that uh, I was hoping for. You know, the caliber of listener that we have is uh, really, uh, it's amazing. You all have just done a lot to inspire me to do more on the podcast and keep going. We're at, you know, we're at 82. We're going to publish 83 uh, soon. Uh, I don't know exactly when this is going to come out. So by the time that uh, you hear this, um, we may be even in the 90s. I don't know, because obviously I try to podcast ahead and I'm taking advantage of the fact that Dennis and I are in the same place right now. But but Dennis, uh, just, you know, on some of the uh, some of the bigger things like the grassy knoll, uh, you know, one of the big questions that everybody has in all of this is, were there shots taken from the grassy knoll? And there's so many different uh, things to consider when you try to answer that question. 
And uh, is there something, and, and you've, you know, you've read a lot of books and listened to a lot of the evidence yourself, is there something that stands out in your own mind that there was uh, at least something more happening in Dealey Plaza that day uh, that might indicate that uh, there could have been shots from someplace other than just the six book uh, window of the depository? Well, there's no doubt about that. There's a number of things, uh, obviously, other than the Zabruder film, which is, to me, clear-cut evidence of uh, uh, some sort of triangulation. Now, the other issues, to me, that um, uh, speaking to this topic, there were three, may have been four, but there were three railroad men uh, sitting on top of the... uh, uh, triple overpass while they were waiting for uh, the parade route to come by. And when uh, they heard what they thought first was a firecracker, they looked around and they, when they realized it was shots, that uh, they saw a puff of smoke come out of the, uh, the area behind the grassy knoll where the, uh, the fence was, the fence line. And uh, they even uh, quickly went over there to see, and they saw footprints, and they saw uh, a number of things that had been trampled over there. But they also looked for shell casings and did not find any. But there was also a woman that was down on the grassy knoll that heard the shot. She lumbered down right onto the floor, turned around, also saw the puff of smoke that came up. So, And even though the Zabruder film, to me, was uh, pretty much uh, evidence that... uh, substantiates that. You also have a few other films. The Nix film was another film, uh, although not quite as conclusive to me as, as the Zabruder film, uh, even though there are a few frames missing from, from that and uh, some of the things that came on. But, you know, if you really think about so many different things, uh, one, the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald uh, was uh, not the best shooter in the world. He was shooting through a Texas live oak, which doesn't shed its leaves until basically feb you know late january early february how did he get a clear shot and how could he get uh, uh three shots off in in six seconds it's not that it couldn't be done but somebody with his caliber and uh, abilities i guess uh shooting with the with the marcano rifle there there to me there's it's just not plausible not feasible so those are some of the main things that i'd say were some of the things that try that that uh, happened that convinced me that there's got to be another way of of uh, looking at this particular situation you know it's it's basically been almost 60 years since this uh uh incident happened and you know to me um uh, every president since 1840 to 1860, almost uh, 1960, almost 1980 when Reagan was shot but survived, uh, president that uh, was elected in the 20-year cycle have all been uh, shot or uh, died in office. So it's kind of interesting to see some of these parallels. But to me, those are a couple of the things that uh, shows uh, that this investigation, and, and particularly the Warren Commission, uh, ignored critical information. In fact, didn't even subpoena some of the things that were happening. Even though these three gentlemen, for example, they talked to the Dallas police. They were later interviewed by the FBI. Some of their testimony within the FBI or the affidavits within the FBI did not even mention the fact that there was a puff of smoke that came out. So, so therefore, their entire 
their entire testimony is not even in the official record of the Warren Commission. Later on in the 1979, 78-79 time frame when, when they were looking at the uh, Select Committee on Assassination, some of this did come out. What I'm hopeful for is that within the 75-year would it be nice if it came out in 60 years, but within the 75 year, a lot of this information will come out. And we'll see things that while the CIA directly, I don't believe, had any direct issues with this, indirectly, they certainly had a lot of things that coincidentally were involved. They were involved with looking at the uh, Free Cuba movement. They were active in so many other things that from uh, the simple standpoint that there's too many coincidences. You know, where Lee Harvey Oswald lived in um, Dallas, for example, uh, the landlord was somebody uh, that was a relative of someone he knew in New Orleans. So, you know, there's just so many things that are coincidental that, um, you know, that's what sparks conspiracy theories. And so there's just so many of these kinds of things that need to be further investigated and, and the truth brought out. Well, I think if you're listening, if you're part of the listening audience this afternoon, you can tell why I got so excited uh, about the whole topic uh, at an early stage in life. I mean, obviously, Dennis knows a tremendous amount about it, and it's just one of the many things that, you know, he has an interest in. And so uh, it's been also just a great topic over the years between the two of us, uh, as I'm sure many of the listeners, too, have someone in their own life like that that you can actually uh, share the information, talk about, and, uh, uh, you know, and really, you know, work sort of collaboratively with. You know, it's it's really been sort of a you know, kind of a fun 30 years. And uh, people ask me a lot, you know, how long does it take you to actually put an episode together? And uh, it depends. Uh, I've put episodes together in, uh, from the start of writing one to uh, uh, finishing it off and posting it in less than a day. And then I've had episodes that have taken a week. Uh, it just depends on the, the depth of, uh, of research that you have to do. And it's almost like pulling on a string on a sweater because sometimes you'll find that you think you know a lot about a topic and the next thing you know you're deep into it and three or four more characters characters just pop up out of nowhere that you have to really go uh, learn a little bit about and understand. And even with 30 years worth of uh, reading and rereading and, and watching hundreds and hundreds of videos and listening to all sorts of things on the, uh, you know, on uh, that are available to you either in audio form or, or video form. It's still a learning experience, and uh, so it really does take. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of time. Um, Dennis, you know, there's this is like a, a big play. It's almost like watching you know Les Mis. There's you know there's there's hundreds, literally hundreds of actors upon the stage when it comes to the JFK assassination. Is there any one character in this whole thing, and I use that term obviously very loosely, uh, is there any one character in the whole thing that kind of stands out to you that you like to hear more about? I mean, some people just say, hey, it's Oswald, you know, I mean, he's the main, he's the main focus of the entire thing, but there are so many other colorful people that are involved in this. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in, do you have a favorite, I guess? Well, I have a couple of favorites because there's uh, something kind of interesting that uh, uh, 
I found in the one thing that uh, actually came to trial. And uh, that was Jim Garrison, the uh, New Orleans district attorney, who actually was probably the only one that I can think of that had any uh, trial of any sort. Um, and there were so many characters in New Orleans at that time. And, uh, you know, everything from uh, David Ferry to... Uh, 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 Andrew, was it Andrews? Uh, that, Dean Andrews. Yeah, D, yeah, that guy was was uh, talk about a character. That, those two guys were characters. You know, they were uh, both um, uh, part of the uh, Fair Play for Cuba. They also had a number of different things that uh, came up. And one of the things, uh, that's where the main conspiracy uh, theories came out of, was because of uh, the corners of the uh, French Quarter where all these uh, guys hung out uh, back in 62 and 63 when Oswald came back from the Soviet Union. And one of the things that's really kind of interesting is that, um, you know, he was an attorney. Uh, that uh, you have to use that term lately. With yeah, I, yeah, he was, a, he was an attorney. And one of the things that he got a call from uh, – Clay Bertram, who was uh, kind of an alias, uh, who later turned out to be, we all believe, Clay Shaw, uh, that he wanted him to uh, represent uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in uh, Dallas. And uh, from that part, he was an attorney and part of, uh, I, I believe he's part of Jim Garrison's staff at one one point. And, uh, you know, but he was a real character, big heavy set guy, smoked like a fiend and um, was always laughing and joking and telling Cajun jokes and um, but he ended up um, uh, being in, indicted on perjury because when he spoke to the Warren Commission about uh, Clay Bertram uh, and then later recanted some of that uh, uh, Jim Garrison then uh, indicted him on a perjury charge and um, you know it's just like the Clay Shaw he's another one that's another interesting character uh, besides uh, David Ferry in that in that uh, whole round robin of situation. So uh, the New Orleans thing is kind of interesting to me simply, simply because, you know, a lot of people have forgotten about that. And they've forgotten about what uh, that really brought out. What it really brought out was the fact that there were so many intertwining CIA, um, you know, just mingling into all of those. And what did it really mean? You know, the whole thing about was the CIA going to be dismantled by JFK? Was the uh, Vietnam War no longer going to be escalated? I mean, there were, you know, was uh, he being soft on communism with the with the lack of the Bay of Pigs uh, uh, stance? And so there was just so many things that came in. You know, to me, is that the reason you kill a president? I don't think so. But the truth of the matter is, there were so many intertwining things within the intelligence community, not just not just uh, the CIA, FBI, uh, and, and so on, that really needed to have further review. I really don't believe the FBI or the CIA had any direct involvement, but I think some of their operatives, you know, probably went further than um, uh, uh, the average Joe. You know, uh, to that point, one of the things which uh, really dominates the conversation in, in sort of modern or at least current discussion around the the uh, the whole event is that it didn't have to be a single uh, conspiracy. The idea that uh, there may have been a conspiracy to kill the president and then there was you know, effectively a conspiracy by the government to cover up what actually happened and with, with really two different motives. 
you know, there, it's a very popular view these days that, uh, you know, perhaps in the uh, right in the middle of, of uh, you know, that period of the 1960s, there was such concern that if there had been a foreign power involved in the assassination itself, that uh, to acknowledge that in any way would have potentially triggered World War III. And so there really was, at least under that theory, a legitimate concern by the government that, uh, uh, you know, that if, if there was any foreign involvement, that it really had to be suppressed for that purpose. Uh, and it could have, you know, very well have been completely uh, separate uh, from the actual conspiracy itself. Now, there's, you know, sort of a layer of sophistication on top of that that says that those that actually uh, potentially perpetrated this have, you know, gone through a series of narratives, you know, sort of starting with one, exhausting the public's desire to, uh, uh, you know, really, you know, accept that one. And when it wore itself out, moved on to a, uh, another theory and, and, and facilitated that in, in, you know, multiple ways behind the scenes as, as time has, you know, has passed. There's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion on all this, you know, that's probably can't be condensed into a paragraph, but, you know, but that concept is, you know, generally uh, very prevalent today that it wasn't necessarily a single conspiracy that included both the event itself and the cover-up. And so what do you think about that? Well, I believe that's absolutely correct, because if you look at the historical, uh, uh, happenings after the assassination, you know, uh, of JFK, uh, Lyndon Johnson becomes president. Um, things that he couldn't, uh, President Kennedy couldn't get uh, passed, such as even the simple things like the civil rights legislation, of uh, the Civil Rights Act of '64 and of '68, uh, made a major change in American history. But also the escalation of the Vietnam War. Uh, Dulles and some of his activities within the CIA, uh, how Robert McNamara uh, created the Pentagon Papers uh, to see how they could. There was just so many, so many things that happened in that uh, 1960, late 1963, early 64, uh, all the way up until the uh, election of uh, 1968, where Richard Nixon became president all changed the way that is. They were all concerned about a number of things. How did it look? They wanted to calm the public. You know, they wanted people to believe in the single uh, bullet theory and the single shooter theory to just calm things down. And that was a time of strife. If you look in the 1968, you know, the, uh, the shooting of Martin Luther King, um, Robert F. Kennedy. So all those things started to happen in a time that people were saying, well, Warren Commission reports out. They concluded that there was a single gunman. There's no, no reason to go any further because that's what the government said. And as we all know through history, just because that's what the government said, that's not always what really happened. You know, we don't have to look any farther than the um, 1930s and 40s with Nazi Germany to think that there was not a change uh, that could have been covered up by the, by the government if that's really what they wanted to do. So I, I just think there's a lot of things that uh, your your premise is, is correct on. There, I don't know if it was a conspiracy within a conspiracy. I wouldn't say that, but I think there was probably a conspiracy and another conspiracy. So that's really what, it, what uh, you know, people wanted to feel safe, feel calm. You know, you had uh, Khrushchev 
then coming to the end of his reign, and then you had more hardliners coming in the Soviet Union. So there's a lot of things that were happening during that time, uh, notwithstanding the escalation of the Vietnam War. Good stuff, isn't it, Dennis? Excellent. <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun. Uh, I, I've been. Uh, uh, Jeff has asked me to do this several times, and I've, I've kind of just said, "Well, I'm not. Uh, this isn't my cup of tea. It's kind of yours." But uh, over the years, it reminded me. You know, for many years, when we would get together, we would talk about uh, the JFK assassination and other uh, top political events around uh, the JFK assassination. And, uh, you know, we've both been to uh, Dallas and seen Dealey Plaza and been into the uh, Texas Book Depository. And, you know, even going to there, which is a great experience. If you haven't been there, I would suggest that if you're in Dallas, just take an afternoon or a, a whole day for that matter. And take a look at that museum and what what they've done, because it it really is worth taking a look at, even if you're not a uh, conspiracy theorist or even if you believe in the in the single shooter. It's still interesting to look at what happened. It's an historical event that clearly um, has more questions than answers. And every time there's a question there comes another question. There comes another question because they're not fully answered in any one, um, any one explanation. And that's what I love about um, this is if you're a revisionist historian like I've been uh, all my life, I like to reread things and relook at other people's um, maybe counter arguments. It really gets you to thinking and it really helps to keep your mind focused on what, what is really important. And we know from a historical standpoint how important this particular event was. Well, you know, here's the thing. We're almost 83 episodes in now, I guess, by the time that you'll hear this. Maybe more. Probably be 90 by the time that this gets on the air. Uh, I will say this. Uh, when we first started this journey, someone asked me early on, how many episodes would we have? Well, I said maybe 60 and we might have been at 10 or 15. And then when we got to 30, I said, you know, 90 or 100. And, you know, lately I've been saying something like 160, like we're almost at the halfway mark. I, I don't know. Maybe we're not. Maybe uh, maybe it'll go on for, you know, even longer. And, um, you know, it, here's the thing. Uh, as, as long as you're listening and as long as, you know, you're showing support for the show and as long as I keep getting the kind of positive feedback that we're getting and we're continuing to get uh, and have been getting since really the inception of this whole process, I'm going to keep doing shows. And, uh, you know, we may change the format a little bit from here and there. This is the first time we've actually uh, done one without, you know, preparation. So, uh, but I think it does give you a little bit uh, of a flavor for, you know, how this whole thing got started, too. And, um, and I hope you keep listening. And, and, Dennis, I hope you'll come back, and I hope we can do this again. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, I really, uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on to your podcast because who who would have started, uh, uh, when you started, I, who would have thought you would have get, got over 200,000 uh, followers? You know, I remember when you first started doing this, you told me, Billy, I would love to just get to 5,000. And when you said that, I said, man, after listening to the first 10 or so episodes, I said, you're going to get a hell of a lot more than just uh, 5,000. So uh, this is a testament to your uh, 
research, a testament to your, uh, you know, just tenacity, basically, to get all these things done. And it, it's, it's enlightening, and as well as just from a historical standpoint, bringing up times, especially, I don't know what the average age of your audience is, but anybody who's, you know, from uh, the teenage years on to the, uh, up to as old as my dad was, 95, when he passed away, it's all an interesting time. One, if you lived it, like like we did. Um, it's a day, frankly, I'll never forget. Uh, I was in elementary school, and uh, uh, we actually lived right behind the elementary school. And I came home, and my mother said, the president's been shot. And I went, whoa, I'll never forget that. And uh, then we sat there watching uh, Walter Cronkite and Chet Huntley and David Brinkley, because uh, in those days there was only three networks, and we were watching back and forth on those. And it was unfortunate for my mom and dad because the next day on November 23rd was their uh, wedding anniversary. So it was kind of a somber uh, time for us in 1963 uh, on that particular uh, weekend. And so, um, you know, it's something, you know, it's, it's always like uh, in that movie when uh, Harry met Sally and uh, uh, he says, do you know where you were when uh, Kennedy was shot? And the, the truth is, if you've lived through it, you'll always remember where you were when you heard uh, President Kennedy was shot. So uh, thank you for having on, me on your broadcast. Uh, I'd be glad to do it again. Uh, if uh, that's uh, uh, something you want me to do, um, be glad to do it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. You can tell why I love my big brother. Uh, and he's still my big brother. And uh, it doesn't matter how old we get. It's just that way. Um, well, I think that's the end of this broadcast. And uh, we'll, we'll be back soon with the next episode. Thank you again for listening. For thank, oh, Shit. Okay, here's the first outtake. <laughs> thank, Unbelievable. <laughs> thank you for listening to JFK, The Enduring Secret.